Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I'm Layla London, aka The Curious Girl. Now, just to let you know, this podcast is not suitable for work. It's also not suitable for anybody under 18. But the rest of you consenting adults, let's get ready to talk about my sex life, sex in general, and everything in between in explicit, raunchy, fun detail. All right, here we go. off and never never wasteland no sex nobody touching me nothing it wasn't on my radar like I literally felt like I had zero hormones no desire at all if she can't have an orgasm just from your penis going bap 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 touch your fucking clit all I know is orgasms are great and women we can have multiple orgasms nobody's debunking that one so let them rip they're having orgasms without ejaculating, which I tell you, I gotta tell you, I find that so fascinating. Like, men, this should just be something you strive to achieve. I mean, come on over to the sunny side of the street. I've been deforested. Like, you know, when they talk about clear cutting, like, because I've been lasered, let's say I have been clear cut. My pubic forest has definitely been deforested. Welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I am Layla. I'm so excited to be back with you guys today. Hope you're having a lovely Tuesday. I hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. I was up in, I went up to Savannah for the weekend and was checking that out. Just a lovely place. Really enjoyed my time, but it's a drive. Not too far, but I think it's about two hours something like that, maybe a little bit more. Well, I think two hours the way I drove and two and a half hours the way the other person drove. They were slow. <laughs> but anyway, they had to to do the drive back, but I really enjoyed it. It just, it's fun being in a different part of, of the US. I'm really enjoying, I think, my adventures and living outside of California. I'm loving Florida. And I really just find it a great place. And I'm really having a good time just exploring different places around me, different states, things like that. Places that I really just didn't have close access to before and, you know, never really flew into. It's been like, oh my gosh, quite some years since I've been to Georgia. And I think, when was I there? I was I was there. This is back when I when I didn't work for myself. Like we are going way back, way, 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 way back because I pretty much... I only had one job in medical sales where I worked for another company and that was so long ago. And then I quit and started working for myself and I did that for really most of my working life. But going, we did go to Georgia for a national sales meeting. And so I didn't really get to, it was in Atlanta. We were in hot Atlanta. And I also, same thing with Florida. I visited Florida in, in the summer. You know, what happens is, I think, let's see, let's, let me think of the national sales meeting places we went to, Arizona, Florida, and Georgia, all in the summer. And this is what companies, this is what these companies do. They book these national sales meetings in the off season, usually when it's boiling hot, and they have you out there doing team building shit. I'll never forget it's like 115 degrees. This is no joke. I am out there doing, we're doing a scavenger hunt in 115 degrees in the summer in Arizona. I get heat stroke and I'm throwing up. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a nice 
one of my teammates, my team members in my region, he was nice enough to hold my hair for me while I was throwing up, but it was awful. I'm assuming most of these companies have advanced to this point. Now, I'm hoping also, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret, embarrassing little secret, funny little secret. This is proof I don't take myself too seriously and that I'm not stuck on myself. This morning, I had an incident where I was opening up a bigger, I guess it's a gallon size, maybe roughly around a gallon, something like that of almond milk. I was trying to make my protein shake this morning and the bigger, you know, the ones that don't open like a milk carton, you know, they have almond milk that comes in that same form too, where you just open the carton, that's different. This has a piece of foil over the top spout, you take the lid off and then there's that foil, you know, it's just to protect it for when it's in transit before you buy it, right? When it's in the store, it makes sense. Perfect sense. Well, those fuckers are on there like a lock. So I really don't know what I was thinking. Some of you may already be cringing knowing where where I'm going with this. I used my front teeth to try to put enough pressure to bite this thing off. Well, bad move because I have both of, I've knocked out both of my front teeth at different times. And so my left front tooth, the veneer, it's a veneer. This one I knocked out when I was in high school, jumping up I'd realized I'd overslept. I sprang out of bed and I'm running, bolting for the bathroom because I don't want to be any later than I already am. And my, I catch my foot on my book bag or something. I think it was my book bag. Yeah. Going, walking into my bathroom. It was blocking the way, whatever. And I clothesline myself out and I actually end up hitting, chipping my front tooth off on the bathroom sink. So I had to go to the dentist. He gave me a veneer. The other one, that got knocked out during one of my marathons at the 20 mile marker. The irony of that is if you're not, if you've never run marathons, the 20 mile marker is what they call hitting the wall. Well, I literally hit the wall and knocked a tooth out. Now, my body didn't physically hit the wall, but I, well, that's not true. I did physically hit the wall and that's what knocked the tooth out. It was actually the pavement, but I wasn't, it wasn't because of fatigue. I'd actually just caught my shoe, the tip of my shoe in a pivot. In a, or when I was pivoting just the right angle in my Asics, <laughs> I always wear Asics, that's my brand, and uh, caught it in a storm, one of the storm grates by the edge of the street and the sidewalk. Anyway, literally, again, same thing, clotheslined myself out because my momentum was moving forward. The back foot got caught. I stepped with the, with the front left and just whammo, came right down, bam, onto my front tooth. And actually, that was a good story because I did end up get this, guys. Like I am a fucking badass. My mantra when I when I run long distances, when I I tell myself I'm tough as nails, that's always been my like mantra. I actually got up after sitting there for a minute because the people from the sidelines had come and scooped me up, and they were like, "You can't! Oh my god, you must have you have a concussion. Don't move. Just sit there. I'm bleeding profusely from my mouth. You know." And that one was really knocked out. I mean, that was just knocked out. And <laughs> I sit there for a while. I get pissed off because I'm like, fuck it. The ambulance isn't coming. I've been sitting here for like 10 or 12 minutes. I already know my time was shot. I'm trying to hit a personal best. I I just get pissed. Piss, piss, piss. I get up and I finish the last 6.2. Anyhow, there you go. There's my glory story. All right. Back to the podcast. Sorry. Completely derailed it there with all that storytelling. But the funny part is, so I am sitting here literally doing this podcast with my... <laughs> 
missing tooth, but I have, you actually have a stump, a tooth stump underneath your veneer. Oh, I look like a hillbilly. Like really, literally, if I need some banjos to be playing in the background right now. And this is quite hilarious. So if I sound a little, if I get lispy, if I start lisping a little bit, that's why, because I'm missing my front tooth. I have an appointment tomorrow to go get it taken care of. Hopefully the veneer is like perfectly fine. The it just the glue, it just cracked the the adhesive, really. The and that thing had been on there for a uh, long time. I mean, that was from that was from high school. So kudos to that dentist. I mean, it's it's hung in there a long time. But you're not supposed to bite stuff with your front teeth like that. I mean, I just literally I don't even know what I was thinking. It was early. I was hungry. I just wanted to make my protein shake. It's first thing in the morning. I don't even drink coffee. I'm just going straight for the protein shake. Like I need some protein. All right, there we go. Now I want to bring this up. I have gotten so many comments from men over the putting out for your partner episode. Not a one from a woman. (laughs) I'm thinking, okay, my female listeners are now hating me. I'm going to go from 35% female listeners to like 2%. I hope not, ladies, because you know what? That podcast is just supposed to be informational. I want women to understand where men are coming from on this and how it makes them feel. And because I've been there, been there, done that. I've had partner that cheated on me and I really had to accept my responsibility in it because when I realized he did it because he was lonely, lonely, I had starved him. I had my mind on other things. Work was like, he was just way down on the list and and that's what ended up happening. So at the time I was just like, well, yeah, I was pissed, of course. Pissed hurt the whole nine yards, but I learned from it and I won't, put somebody in that position anymore. And the way I don't put somebody in that position anymore is the minute I know that that's changing, I'm going to one of two things, address it with them, try to work on it, make it better, or it's time for them to go. And that's really, it's that's the way it works. But the great feedback that I've gotten, I just thank you guys so much. I know you are appreciating that. And also I've been flooded with stories of men that are feeling exactly as I'm mentioning, like my old, old boyfriend a long, long time ago felt just completely alone and how awful it is to feel that you're not wanted and desired by the one person that you want and desire the most. And that's really what got me. That's what hit me in the heart when I realized that. I was like, oh, Jesus, like this is what I did to this guy. Now he didn't have to make, his decisions are his decisions. I'm not cutting him any slack for him then turning around and cheating on me. It's not justified. One bad decision, it's not corrected by another bad decision, okay? But I had to accept my responsibility in it and the way I made him feel. And once I realized it, it was it was kind of like, I don't want to say soul crushing, but it really affected me because I just thought I never want to make another person I am with feel like that. I never want the person I'm with to feel like that. How awful. So I did get this wonderful message. I want to read it. Well, I got a lot of messages, but I really liked and I love them all. So so if I don't if I'm not reading yours, don't be don't don't worry. They all thank you guys for sent for responding and the feedback that I've gotten. It's been very supportive and I appreciate it. And most of it's conclusive like, "Hey, you're talking about my story, my life story. This is what's going on with me." And anyway, so here's a message I got. It says, "Hey Layla, just finished the putting out podcast. Holy shit. I don't think anything I have ever listened to like that has hit home so hard. My first marriage was sex starved while she put her 
master's degree first. I was called a sex addict and even did some counseling for wanting my needs met, even though I never cheated on her. Did I masturbate often? Yes, I did. And she would dig up the PC history. I don't know what that is. PC means history and throw it in my face while never questioning why I am doing that or making an effort to make me happy. When we split, she contacted my family and friends, slandering me as a sex addict, though to be a sex addict when you're never getting laid though. No, he said, oh, tough to be a sex addict when you're never getting laid. Fast forward 10 years and now I'm feeling like an obligation and it's so frustrating. I really admire you for directing some blame to the women in the relationships. It was so accurate. I was blown away. I'm like, this is me. This is my life. It is sad, but I will hopefully share this with my fiance and hope things will improve. Although there are other factors that will take priority, of course. The struggle is real for us guys. Thanks again for putting your perspective in words. It was excellently stated. Well, you're welcome. And I just, like I said, It's just as easy for women to be on the receiving end of this. And I think the one thing I just want to emphasize is that feeling like you're not wanted and desired by your partner is the worst. And in fact, the guy that really inspired that, the listener that inspired that episode, he wrote back into me and said, it's just that it is. The worst thing is just the being wanted. I mean, you want to be desired by your partner. And... It feels very lonely when you're not. And that's hopefully the point that was driven home to anybody. I won't designate the sex to it because it goes both ways. If you're ignoring your partner sexually or your libidos are off, you're the one person they're supposed to be able to get all this touch, affection, hot, steamy sex, you know, that you should be desiring each other and wanting each other. And it absolutely can happen and be maintained in long-term relationships. Just because don't think that it's something that dies out or has to die out. It absolutely can and should be maintained and it should be prioritized. And the theme of this, you know, in case you haven't gotten it, the theme of this podcast is making your sex life a priority. Prioritizing your pleasure, however you want to put it. There's a lot of cliches out there. I've stated it simply. I'm not giving it any special super... I guess, zingy strap line. I'm just saying it should be a part of our priorities, whether we're single or with a partner. It matters. And there's a lot of crazy dysfunctional shit that comes out of not having it be tended to. So that being said, I really hope that everybody has the sex life they want. And if you don't, Gosh, there's just a lot of resources out there, you know? Please don't be shy about wanting to jump in and fix it and turn it around and say, ugh, this isn't working, you know? I got to do something different. I did it. I mean, I was often never, never wasteland, no sex, nobody touching me, nothing. It wasn't on my radar. Like, I literally felt like I had zero hormones, no desire at all. I'd gone beyond no desire. It just was like... Some, someone had given me like a like a lobotomy, you know, they lobotomized my sex desire, my thoughts, cravings, needs, any of it. Well, it's really just about changing your mind. It's I, I did it within like a few seconds. And then about 10 days later, I was having sex. So <laughs> it's, it's easily rectified. Okay. Now, I always talk about the things that I know, you know, from my perspective, what I know, what I don't know. I came across this really interesting podcast and it's with a Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton. And 
she's going over like all these things that we really don't know and these sexual myths. And as I'm listening to this, I'm like, holy shit. I thought some of this stuff was legit and real. Good news. Strictly Anonymous podcast is looking for people to call into the show. So if you lead an interesting, naughty secret life that you want to talk about while remaining anonymous or not anonymous, if you're out and proud, that's cool too. Send me an email, strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. That's strictlyanonymouspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to my website, strictlyanonymouspodcast.com and click on be on the show. And I've been popping it off. Now I'm going to, I'm going, you know, you've often heard me say that I'm a critical thinker. And even when it comes to like, especially when it comes to the media, all forms of media, it doesn't, this is not politically based at all. I just tend to be, when I hear something, I tend to want to dig a little deeper. I don't just accept things as fact, although you are going to hear in here where I have accepted some, some things as fact that are not fact. This is this is what you're going to be shocked. I have accept, accepted some things that are fact that aren't fact because I've heard it from doctors. You've heard it in articles, magazines, over and over in books. It's been repeated over and over. But in fact, we're going to break some of these myths here because there's no actual proof, scientific proof or studies that back this shit up. Somehow it just got adopted into our, you know, these are our sexual misconceptions. And this is what I wanted to talk about, what I don't know about sex. Okay, you know I talk about the G-spot. What is the G-spot really? And you know I've talked about that article where I read in Cosmo where I sat down, I read the article and I sat there until I freaking had an orgasm. But if you also remember, again, I like to take a logical approach. Like I, I've looked at the anatomy and I can see where the inside, the interior portion of the clitoris runs in like a long stem behind the, this area here that we're calling the G-spot. Okay. Did you know, guys, Cosmo actually released an apology saying it's not the G-spot. They're just now calling it the spot. And there's so much debate about it. And men and women, mostly it's interesting because I think there's been mostly um, male researchers on this, but they can't actually determine that there is a G-spot. There is a spongy spot and they've got different names. They've actually do have the biological terms for these areas, but there's really no proof of this that the, you can, if you, if you stimulate it and all this stuff, that this reaction happens, there's no scientific studies about it. Now that kind of makes me think, oh, I don't know. Is this true? Is this not true? Well, the G-spot apparently is actually, as it turns out, according to Dr. Lisa Don Hamilton, it's a myth. Now, do women get pleasure from that area? Yes. Can you have orgasms and can you be stimulated inside, internally? Yes. But there's just no proof you know, there's no scientific studies. I like science. You guys know I've said this before. Like I look, I look to science. I look to science, you know, to really help me with this stuff. So this is a little embarrassing as I'm outing myself here on some of these things that I've said on the show that in fact, there's really no proof of. But I, my aim is to be helpful. So that's what I'm going to try to do here. <gasps> the other thing I wanted to point out about this G-spot thing is so I don't want women to get frustrated. I felt like, well, there's a silver lining here. Women don't have to get frustrated when they can't come that way. And men, you should never get frustrated if your woman cannot come with the, I'll put in air quotes, the air quoted G-spot orgasm. If she can't have an orgasm just from your penis going bap, 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 touch her fucking clit. 
Kenneth probably already touched on this. We touched on this. Like, yeah, we don't need to orgasm shame anybody. As long as she's having them, she can have them. She wants to have them. However she wants to have them, give it to her. Give her them. Don't expect her to be what you see in porn. It's fake. It's fucking fake. Okay? It's fake. Very few women, and again, I don't even know if this, now I just don't even know if this statistic is real or not, but whatever misinformation's out there only reports, <laughs> the misinformation uh, reporting on G-spot orgasms only says there's not very many women. It's not as common for women to be able to orgasm that way. Now, I want to go back to my theory. I'm going to pat myself a little bit on the back and say, when I was talking with Paloma, one of the guests on the show, about having a G-spot orgasm, and believing that, well, it's really there, maybe that is the proper terminology. I was We weren't debating whether or not there is a G-spot. It was just, I have had a G-spot orgasm around that area. The, they call it the urethral sponge that that stimulated with enough pressure. But I did say it makes sense to me because if you look at the way the clitoris runs, it's all these nerve endings. And guess what? We're going to get into the nerve endings in the clitoris and debunk that myth too. Oh my gosh, I was disappointed about this one. Sorry, that's a spoiler alert. It does run behind that area. So when you, and for me, I can't, it can't just be light pressure. Like I need a lot, you need a lot of pressure. You need the pressure. You need to be hitting that spot. Well, if the nerves are back there too, and you're stimulating them, this makes sense. So it could be one big old clitoral orgasm. I don't know. I'm just having them and I'm happy. Okay. Enough said about this one. I, although I'm very disappointed. And like when Cosmo, when this Lisa Don Hamilton said, Cosmo retracted. I'm like, no, Cosmo. Uh, not that I consider the mecca of medical information, female medical information, but still I was a little disappointed to hear that. All right. The clitoris. How many nerve endings are in the clitoris? What do you guys think? A lot of people are thinking, oh, I've heard 8,000 nerve endings and da, 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 and there's more than a penis. People say more than a penis. That study, there's no actual study done on females, female human beings that can account for that number, just so you know. That was actually a study that was done on cows. Yes, you heard me right, cows. But it turns out there, there just are no actual studies on this. How many nerve endings are in the clitoris versus the penis? And if I'm remembering correctly, I don't believe this person said there was any studies that say how many are in a penis. They just don't know. But you know, you've seen that a bazillion times. And I probably, I know I've said it on the show at some point or another, like, hey, there are you know, more nerve endings. I've said it before. I know I've said it before. Like, oh, there's more nerve endings in your clitoris. So don't forget to touch clitoris. You know, you think your penises are so great and sensitive. Well, I have to retract that. I don't know. Your penises may be greater and more sensitive. We don't know. There we go. Sorry, I had to debunk that one. I was disappointed. I'm like losing ground here fast. <laughs> All I know is orgasms are great. And women, we can have multiple orgasms. Nobody's debunking that one. So let them rip. Let your body work its magic. All right. Average penis size. There's all kinds of information about the average penis size. What is it? Do we have studies? Do we really know? Well, the truth is 
Again, no conclusive studies to this. No actual studies based scientifically, you know, performed studies where you follow the proper procedures and protocols. This information, as it turns out, is coming from a condom company who asked, who's trying to figure out, I guess probably the most common size to produce. They're asking men to measure their penises and send them in. Well, guys, I, you know, I mean, it's like, I think it might be the penis size. If you're asking a man to measure his penis and he's, it'll be like women lying with their weight, you know, like women lie about their weight, men lie about their penis size. If they're the ones measuring it, you think they're not going to add an extra half inch on there or something, you know, or maybe a full inch. We don't know. I think women might usually take like 10 pounds off. (laughs) So that might be the equivalent of taking a full inch off or adding a full inch on rather. But they do know, they have some general information. And just so everybody knows, the general information says that five inches to five and a half inches is average. So as long as you're right around there, you're good. You're good. And I mean, really, who who's to say though? We don't really, really know. There was also another study, I guess it was not, a, not an official study, but there was a study done. I keep saying study. There was an information gathering process performed someplace in Florida during spring break, asking guys to come and drop, drop their shorts and let their dicks be measured. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, what are we talking here? Drunk guys on spring break? Was it semi-soft? Full, full, I mean, you know, did they get a full erection? Who knows? Who knows? I think there was also a study done on cadavers by men in Japan and they would stretch out the cadaver penises <laughs> to see how far they could stretch them. And then they also made some correlation to the size of their nose. I mean, it's just weird. I mean, again, none of this, none of this is scientific. Okay. I did think that was interesting though. Next one. The refractory period for men and multiple orgasms. Okay, there are studies around men who practice tantric techniques, okay? And they're able to have multiple orgasms with little or no refractory period. There are studies around this. This is cool. However, they're practicing tantric principles. So they're not actually ejaculating, right? They're having orgasms without ejaculating, which I tell you, I got to tell you, I find that so fascinating. Like men, this should just be something you strive to achieve. I mean, come on over to the sunny side of the street. Women, we can do this. And we do do this quite easily. And maybe I don't want you to have our gift, but I'm just saying in all fairness, try it out. Like really, I, if I were you, I would, I would seek to master that over ex, over finding ways to last longer for your partner because this beats it to the punch, but with some bonuses, like you can have more orgasms and then have one ejaculatory orgasm at the end. So this is sustaining your erection and your sex time with your partner because you're not ejaculating. So I would focus on this. There's also, let's see, there was another technique where people were able to have orgasms with no refractory period. And oh, it was well this was not a technique rather. It was a it was actually there's they found a link between men who had had prostate cancer and had their prostate removed, then all of a sudden they're able to have multiple orgasms. I don't know about that one. I don't think that seems like a fair trade because I know that you can stimulate the prostate and give a man a very amazing orgasm, but I have when I've done that, I have seen the ejaculation part happen and then, you know, it's over and done so for him until he can, until, you know, if he wants to go again, he needs his downtime. Now, I don't mind the downtime personally, because as a woman, you know, then you get a little more effort, attention and energy focused 100% on you. It's really not a bad thing. 
but I would love to be with someone that practiced Tantra and that was able to have multiple orgasms and then just ejaculate once at the end. That's kind of hot. Okay. Next one. Oh, again, another one. Does peeing after sex prevent UTIs? What do you think? What have we all been told? We have been told that it does. But the truth is there's no documented research that shows this. Now, I don't know. And there are, but here's the thing. There is clear biological evidence that the bacteria is already in the urethra and that peeing after sex is too late to prevent that. Okay, well, I just took a shot to the heart there because since I have long, vigorous, rough sex, hot, nasty, dirty sex, (laughs) fingers, penises, and I'm going to admit, I've admitted on this show, sometimes I go ass to vagina. I know you're not supposed to. They say, don't do it. (sighs) Well, sometimes you're just, you're crazy like an animal and you just cannot get enough and you just want it. And things that you think are normally a turnoff that sound like a turnoff in the light of day, when you're aroused enough, fuck it if those things aren't just making your head pop off like so hot, so around. Like you don't want, oh, stop and wipe your penis off. That would be nice. But when you're frenzied and yeah, when you're frenzied, you're frenzied. Okay, shit happens. That's probably the wrong pun there. It's the wrong thing to say, but stuff happens and you're not, you're just, like I said, there's fingers in there. There's all kinds of, I didn't stop and ask me, did you wash your hands first? No, we're going crazy. It's like we're animals. I love it. And that's some of the best stuff. I mean, some of the best sex produces a bladder infection. I'll be honest. It just happens. Okay. But I'm disappointed in this because I always believed that drink a lot of water. This is my routine. Drink a lot of water and take a cranberry pill that has this stuff in it called demaninose. I've heard from urologists that see the demaninose has this stuff in it. It's like a gelatin almost. If you would imagine like a gelatin and it's supposed to coat the lining the walls of your bladder so that the bacteria cannot stick there. Even if they've already gotten in there, they can't stick to the wall and then they just get peed out. Now, fuck it. Now I'm just like, now I'm questioning everything. Is that true? Is there a study? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, when, I, when I'm when i being diligent and when I pee after sex, I drink a good size glass of water, a good size, not some tiny little cup, a good size glass of water. And I take my cranactin, it's called cranactin with demaninose. I avoided UTIs and I used to get them uh, quite frequently. It was fucked up, you know, like you'd get them and they're awful. Oh, they're just awful. And they're from sex. They're just from having a lot of sex with, I mean, it's the same partner, you know, it's just like you are, like I said, you're frenzied like animals. So anyway, apparently peeing after sex is not a preventative for UTIs. You probably should pee anyway, but just do it. Okay. Sorry. I'm bursting all these bubbles here. Okay. (laughs) Are there more? This is an interesting thing. Is there an increase in STDs? Are they on the rise? with the removal of pubic hair. Is there a link? And in this actual episode, she called it pubic hair deforestation. I love that. Pubic hair deforestation. That's fucking hilarious. I've been deforested. Like, you know, when they talk about clear cutting, like because I've been lasered, let's say I have been clear cut. My pubic forest has definitely been deforested. It's only the strip on the top. And then a few stragglers here and there. You know, you just shave those, but like... 
I could go back and just get those out, but I, you know, it's really not worth it. Yeah. Okay. So they say that there is a reduction. There's there has been a reduction in pubic lice and crabs. <laughs> Good news! <laughs> pubic hair deforestation reduces pubic lice and crabs. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if there's less hair for them to hold on to, you don't have that full bush. So, you know, hey, ladies, if you're on the fence about deciding whether to deforest your pubes or not, maybe the pubic lice thing is something that you, you're afraid of. You don't want to get pubic lice. I personally have, thank God, have never been the recipient of pubic lice, but I've always been a pubic hair deforester. Even from, I started waxing. I started a Brazilian wax from go. I mean, no joke. I used to sit in high school, a good friend of mine, we would sit back to back, heat up our wax and, you know, lean up against each other's wax and give ourselves Brazilians when I was in high school. Like I probably started doing this like sophomore year, I think. Yeah. I was an early adopter of the Brazilian and, or at least I felt like it because I just didn't feel like, I didn't feel like high school girls were getting waxed. They were just shaving. But I had decided that the shaving was something that I had to do all the time and you got stubbles and it wasn't as effective. And I really liked the way the smoothness of the waxing felt. So there you go. My my first boyfriend was the recipient of a nice waxed pussy. (laughs) Maybe that's why he was so hooked. I don't know. Anyway, but there are back to the studies on the pubic hair. So there really are no studies that show there's a risk. The risk is higher or lower depending on your levels of pubic hair, whether you're full bush or you have gone for the pubic hair with the pubic hair deforestation movement. And here's why. It was actually pretty funny when the, when the lady was breaking this down, when, when that Dr. Lisa was breaking it down, Dr. Hamilton, actually, her first name's Lisa, that... <laughs> just that nobody wants to do these studies. I mean, you'd really have to, in order to do this properly, you'd have to have like, okay, you'd have to have a group that was waxing. You'd have to have a group that was using Nair. You'd have to have a group that was shaving because you'd also have to factor in, you know, with these, I think they call them depilatories or depilatories. Are they taking skin off? When you're waxing, you can take skin off, you know, or when you're shaving, are you nicking yourself? Is that leaving you? Is there an open sore or something that makes it easier to get STDs? And then you'd have to have women that were willing to get an STD transferred to them, which I don't think I know anybody that would want that, right? So you'd have to go have sex with, I guess, someone who had them. I I don't even know how you would construct this. But anyway, there's no way to show this. So there's no link between other than the pubic lice, you know, actual STDs. So I guess maybe herpes, chlamydia, gonorrhea. I don't know. I don't know what else they're lumping in there, but you don't have to, uh, doesn't matter. Just go with your personal favorite as far as how you want your pubes styled. All right. Oh, this was interesting. This was interesting. And this is my last one. I found this one interesting. And coming off of the episode, putting out for your partner, because we do get into cheating and things like this. It's do the brains of monogamous men and non-monogamous men differ? Many of us women would tend to think so. Okay. But so here's the interesting thing. When shown pornographic materials, all the brains lit up like Christmas trees. Whatever gets stimulated, you know, it was like, every, you know, didn't matter whether monogamous or non-monogamous. Show them pornographic sex, pictures of sex acts, all that. Men, men are men. They're just, their brains are lighting up like Christmas trees. Okay, now, here's the difference. But when shown romantic pictures, the 
monogamous men, they showed much more subcortical reward action in their brains. That was that was firing. And the non-monogamous men didn't show this at all. But it's what else did it say? In the study that sparked this, they released, they call the non-monogamous... Oh, <laughs> this was interesting. In this, also in this study that they released, what had spurred this actual study to the men to transfer to the men to they had it first with some with some animals and i don't i can't remember what the animals were they were i want to say like like prairie dogs i don't know why prairie dogs is jumping in there and they had what they were able to do was isolate they had a certain type of I, again i think it's a prairie dog i could be wrong but let's just say prairie dogs okay for the sake of argument there is an actual study on this um and I hope I'm not using the wrong animal, but you kind of get the idea here. Okay. They took an animal that by nature is monogamous. They don't just go and breed with as many uh, partners as, you know, other prairie dogs as they possibly can. They just find a prairie dog like doves, right? And they just try to find one and stick with that one. Well, what they did find, so this is so fascinating, is that they found a specific hormone receptor gene that when they modified it, they could make non-monogamous animals, monogamous, based on the specific hormone receptor gene. That was the interesting thing that came out of this study. So I'm like, oh my gosh, literally, is this possible in men? Can we make actual men if we give them more of this specific hormone receptor gene or stimulator, whatever they were doing to it, can you make cheaters, bad guys, non-monogamous guys? And actually, I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Just because you're non-monogamous doesn't mean you're a cheater and a bad guy. Let me let me take that back. Okay. Can you make a non-monogamous man monogamous? Now, I know women are like, where's that fucking study? What is this thing? I want that. <laughs> I just thought that was so interesting. You can in, you know, and this is all, of course, it always, you know, they start these studies and stuff with animals. So... I don't know. There there might be hope. Or maybe if the man like really wanted to do better and be better, but he just couldn't for whatever reason, because probably some of it is hormonal. I mean, this is kind of the other thing that, you know, is coming to light. Like some of this is it's hormonal. And when you, especially when you are looking at the, when you're comparing the differences in the subcortical reward response coming from their brains. So some men just that's not what's doing it for them. It's they don't they have a different point of view on monogamy. And not even their point of it's just it's their neuroscience, right? And so can this be adjusted? I think this is an interesting, really interesting question. But <gasps> you know women would take that too far. They'd be spiking his drink with it, they'd be sticking him with it in the middle of the night, slapping a patch on him, whatever. <laughs> Honey, did you patch up today? Don't leave the house. You know you're gonna be around all those sexy women, or you're going on your your uh, you know your work uh, national sales conference. Slap that patch on. I want to see it every day. Oh, I tell you, it's it's uh, quite fascinating to think the possibilities here. So there you have it. I will leave it at that, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate all your feedback that you give me. You guys have been great on the feedback lately. Holy cow, lots of emails, lots of voicemails. I'm loving it. I'm appreciating it. Some of you got back to me and gave me some great suggestions for as I do my move into doing my merchandising, Curious Girl merch. Please, it's not too late. Throw your two cents in there. Leave me a voicemail. Go to thecuriousgirldiaries.com. Click on the pink tab on the right-hand side and let it rip. Or 
just send me an email, curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com because I love, love, love your feedback. Makes my day. All right, guys, stay happy, healthy, safe. Love you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, refer me to a friend and make sure you're following me on social media. Also, go to the website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com and join my subscribers only list for access to exclusive content. And as usual, questions or comments, you can always email me at curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com.